Before I introduce today's guest on Human Cogs, a quick reminder that we love hearing from you about how these conversations inform, inspire, or help you to make sense of yourself or the world around you by listening to others' stories. So at the end of the show today, we'd love it if you could hit subscribe and give us a quick review and maybe some gold stars on Apple or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We're asking you that just so that we can keep producing these stories um, and these shows based on what you're into and bring you more humans with stories that should be told in times like these. Thanks. You guys rock. We really appreciate your support and your listenership. From a young age, Kai Lovell has been curious. After school each day, he'd race home to take apart old computers, build robots, gorge on YouTube tutorials, and feed his insatiable appetite for the why and the how of things. He realised pretty quickly that he was drawn to the internet, and each week he'd research and test a new online platform or app build websites for the fun of it, digital sales funnels for the hell of it, and systems for the challenge of it. Kai channelled those passions into projects along the way, and by the age of 12, he was hosting his own radio show, as you do. By 15, he had built four businesses, he'd taken the stage with TED Talks, and last year, aged just 16, he was learning much more in the world than he was in school, and he decided to opt out of formal education altogether. Kai is currently living and working in Perth, not yet an adult, and yet advising companies, clients and organisations around Australia on product strategy, growth marketing and what the world looks like from a pretty unique 17-year-old's vantage point. Kai is, as you'll discover when you hear this chat, in many ways an outlier. He's someone who's daring to chart waters that aren't mapped. He's insightful, he's intensely curious, he's smart as, and he really has digital running through his DNA. This conversation will blow you away and it'll probably challenge your beliefs about the holders of wisdom and who's actually designing the world we're living in. But mostly I hope it will restore your faith in the next generation. The good news is we're all in very good hands with young people like Kai in the world. Here's my conversation with Kai. Kai, last year, age 16, you left the schooling system behind. What led to that decision? It's, it's certainly not the, the traditional pathway. Mads, it was really a couple of things. I was actually talking to someone about it today and I, I used the analogy of, uh, of the carrot and the stick. You know, there was definitely a, a push um, and, and school and, and the, the, the system. For me particularly, you know, last year and, and years gone by, there's been uh, quite a lot of frustration um, just personally um, with, with that process. And, um, you know, there's plenty I got out of school, but a whole heap sort of, um, you know, left feeling like there was, there was more, um, that I, that I could have got. What was traditional education not giving you? There was a lot of comparisons that I was making between, uh, yeah, what I was spending my time on on the weekends and in the evenings, um, the stuff I really loved, the stuff that I was curious about, the stuff I was really passionate about, uh, and the stuff that I was doing at school. You know, my parents would notice how happy I was getting home to jump into all my sort of work and how unhappy I was um, heading off to school because it was, it was just the type of space where it's, uh, it's prescribed learning that, that wasn't very reactive and, and proactive to, to sort of you as, as a learner. And, you know, the fact is, like, I don't really understand the first thing to do to, to sort of change that because, I, like, I, teachers are already so, so overworked and there's whole complexity in a classroom. So this is not me saying I have all the answers, but I was certainly feeling the problem. I think for me, it was definitely that sort of push of trying to get out of there 
And there was also a pool, you know, which was that sort of stuff, as I said, that I was, I was spending my, my extra time working on that I, I loved. What were you spending your time on? It was, it was actually a real interest in radio. I was really captivated by um, the audio format. And I think probably it helped having a little community radio station in my town. So we would um, drive past every day and I'd always marvel at the big antenna and, you know, being able to hear it on the radio as we drove past. Which town was that, Kai? Where did you grow up? So I was in, I was in Kalamunda, uh, which is, which is a sort of small town about half an hour out of Perth in, in Western Australia, beautiful part of the world, rural enough to sort of feel like there could be a, a couple of cows in the backyard next to you, but that's probably a bit of exaggeration, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but also close enough to sort of have the mod cons. This sort of KCR, um, FM Kalamunda community radio was there. And for those sort of first few years, you know, around sort of high school, um, end of primary school. I was really interested in that. Um, I, I would do it after school. I'd do a little show on a Monday afternoon. You were 11, right, when you did that well, show? Well, yeah, 11, 12. It was around that age where I was starting to do the training with them and um, sort of twisting their arm to let a, a young young chap on their air, airwaves. But I, I, I did that and then, you know, I, I got interested in business and started a little little sort of side side hustle. I mean, it was, it was an epic failure. I, I sold about six t-shirts in six months, I think. This is the tech, the tech thread co. That's the one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Super catchy. And, I know. <laughs> oh, I, I love it. I like the, uh, yeah, the, the three T's in there. What were you trying to sell? T-shirts basically that were sort of embossed with, with different sort of sayings that I thought were quite clever. 12 year old self, Kai. Which were, which were what? <laughs> Don't trust atoms. They make up everything. Really, really funny stuff. It, it was it was more of an exercise of um, you know going through and getting an ABN and setting up a website at a business sort of uh, level. It was a failure. You're 11, right? So how did you know how to do those things at that age? Well, at 12, you, you didn't, right? So you fumble your way through YouTube and government websites and and and, and make a heap of mistakes. Eventually, you get a little bit better. That was the main reason I was doing it. And I think really why I still consider it a successful sort of project was that after those six months, I had had a much greater sense of business and and, and sort of value exchange than I did at the start of those six months. Mm-hmm. And am I right in saying you created about four businesses while you were still in high school? So you had the Tech Thread Co., you had your POV podcast, Millen- yep. Millennial Studios. What was Millennial Studios? So Millennial Studios um, sort of housed that radio sort of became more podcast. And, and I think there, there are a couple of different podcasts that I've worked on uh, around, you know, social change and, um, and, and really just topics that interest me. But I sort of housed it under this Millennial Studios. Again, this was probably 13 or 14. It was sort of the, the next chapter where I was starting to also think about how, how content and social impact can also play into business. Um, and this was a really really interesting time for me because I sort of stopped focusing on the revenue side and really just started focusing on the content and and impact side to the point where I created this thing without a business model, but still with expenses, but nonetheless, I was having a heap of fun. So, you know, there I sort of learned, yes, it might might be helpful to have a revenue model somewhere in there, but more than anything, um, it was just a great exploration of, of content and those sort of softer skills. Yeah, I did that. And then I moved on to probably the, the most substantial of, of, of these sort of projects, which was um, a tutoring agency, which I started with a friend. You know, this, this, all this sort of stuff, right, it might seem sort of, um, you know, all over the shop and, and, and really with no, no sort of single thread, but that was a point, right? Like that was sort of for me exploring lots of different types of things. Um, and, and that's what I'd spend my, my afternoons and, and weekends doing. 
Um, and, and that's why I was, I was really ultimately disenfranchised with school is because my curiosity was not sparked in school. Were you doing the academic learning in school? Were you keeping up with what was expected in the system from that point of view? Mm, yeah, I, I was um, quite the student probably for the first three years of high school. And, and, and I think, you know, probably a lot of people knowing me at that time were surprised at these decisions in sort of year 10, 11 and 12 to sort of move schools and to, you know, to drop out. Because at that point in year seven, eight and nine, I was topping the class. I was topping the year. I was doing quite well, but not because of passion or interest in maths and science, but just because of some, you know, luckily some sort of natural abilities that fizzle out as soon as the real work starts to kick in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when that kicks in, the people that love the subjects do well and the ones that might've been doing well, but didn't really love them sort of drop off. And that was, that was me. So that was also part of the the struggle is, is, is that sort of change in perception from other people. I think probably in the last couple of years have I sort of looked at that and understood it more that's really why, because there was, there was just a lack of passion. Mm-hmm. And, and a lack of engagement in what you're actually learning, because you've obviously got Absolutely. a really big appetite, a voracious appetite for learning. What did your parents think about all this? Um, I mean, they've, they've been my biggest supporters. They've always been, I, I guess, space holders. They kept me fed and housed, which is, which is you know, a, a massive part of uh, all these opportunities. But I think more than anything, they've been wonderful in everything from driving me from here or there to, to just sort of having a chat after dinner about stuff that probably they didn't, didn't really give a crap about. But for me, it was that, that sounding board that was super valuable. And they've always been really encouraging, um, you know, still parents, still caring enough about you to sort of not say yes to everything and let you sort of take a one-way trip to America. But, um, but, but I think, you know, f- for that sort of balance and, and, and sort of line to be walked, I think they did quite a good job of that. Um, hmm. and, and we're always reasonably supportive if I made a good enough case for anything. You're an outlier in some ways. You've taken an unconv- unconventional path, certainly in this country, in this education system in some ways. Yeah. Do you perceive yourself as different? Um, look, I think I would be um, kidding myself if I said that I was the same as everyone else in terms of the path I've taken, not to say that others have done similar things and not to say that the other paths and, and opportunities are any less or more valid. But yeah, I think I'm, I'm different to the status quo, but I don't think that then has any association with, uh, with value. For me, it's definitely the sort of sense that I've had plenty of, uh, of opportunities handed to me um, and, and plenty of good situations and, and, and a hell of a lot of privilege to be able to do certain things. But at the same time, I know that I've done a lot of hard work and, and I've also made some sacrifices and, and really committed to, to learning and failing and failing fast. Again, done work that others haven't, but not necessarily because they should have, but just because I was so desperate for it and I was, I was so hungry for it. You know, one of the things that I reflect on is um, a lot of my peers, majority of my friends are my age still, even though I, I have, um, you know, I engage with with people much older. And and I think most of my peers really struggle with sort of working out, well, you know, what do I want to do in year 12 for subjects? What do I want to do post year 12, which is completely normal. But I think instead of, you know, at least from my perspective, going into university, doing a year and then using that to work out whether you like her, that's that sort of industry or not. I've just tried to sort of make my own education over the past four or five years. And, um, and I think that's, that's put me in a good stead um, along with those opportunities handed to me, but also that hard work. I'd like to think that it's a bit of luck and a bit of, um, bit of privilege, but also some hard work. 
Let's flip that coin then and, uh, you know, you spend a lot of time now with adults. You're working in a co-work, in WeWork, in a co-work space. Um, You're obviously working with our team remotely. You're juggling Mm. part-time jobs uh, at the age of of now just 17. How do adults perceive you that you're coming into contact with, particularly in the startup scene in Perth when there's this young guy kind of rocking in? Are they like, oh, is that someone's son who's got the day off school? (laughs) Well, I'm I'm fortunate enough that, I, you know, I'm, um, I'm reasonably tall, and hopefully I don't, I don't have the baby face I had a couple of years ago. Um, so quite often I'll walk into a space and, and probably not look like too much of a sore thumb. But, but I think generally the sort of situation for me is that until people actually engage with me, they probably just think I'm, I'm part of the furniture like anyone else, which, which is a good thing and a bad thing. You know, generally they read, read the bio on the website or they, they sort of have a chat and uh, it's not the type of thing I sort of lead with or, or, or jump in to sort of say, but it will come up that I'm was meant to be in year 12 this year and, and sort of still 17. But hopefully by that point, myself and, and the work that I do has, has actually spoken loud, louder than that. And, and I think probably up until about two years ago, I was, you know, quite fond of sort of using my age and how I presented and branded myself because, you know, it was, it was a good selling point and a good opportunity to, to get some foots in some doors at that point. But I think it was definitely a novelty for, for most people to, to sort of get this young guy involved. But now I really just try and let, let myself and my work speak like anyone else at 20 or 30. Do you think they take you seriously? Like if they know you, is your age in some respects a bit of a disadvantage and that they might underestimate then your ability? Year on year, it decreases. Like, like when I was 12, you know, I, I, I presented a, a TED talk on, on this sort of journey of young entrepreneurship which is still still a surreal thing to say, but but in that talk I mentioned this sort of um, anecdote where I, I was sort of reaching out to suppliers in the Tech Thread Co. sort of sort of chapter. Of course, no one would want to do any sort of contract consideration with a twelve year old, no less because I couldn't sign the contract. As as years have gone gone on and I've built the portfolio and and built skills, I think that's decreasing, but. I wouldn't blame anyone if they um, think twice. And in, in that TED Talk, Kai, when you really did have a baby face, because I watched it today yes. when I was preparing for this for this <laughs> chat, you had a few main things you spoke about and one of them was reframing setbacks and mm. uh, and seeing them as, as a gift. Can you just go a bit deeper into what, yeah. were, the, what were you talking about there? Yeah, and I, that that's a good, good sort of um, addition to sort of what I was just speaking on because that age has actually been quite a challenge as well. You know, it has had positives and it has had sort of those foot in door sort of moments, but it, it's also caused quite a few problems just in the things I was trying to achieve. Like I remember Millennial Studios, I, I, I'd sort of, you know, in this sort of revenue model, I don't have any way to make money. I've, I'm paying for things sort of sort of phase. I, I decided to set up a Patreon for this podcast um, and I was setting up this PayPal account. And of course you can't sign up for a PayPal account under 18 which I didn't know until then. There's all these sort of little things that will sometimes compound and cause challenges for a, a young entrepreneur, a young creator, um, a young artist, whoever you are, doing things against the grain is also going against the system and, and going against normal. So there's, there's going to be challenges. And I think that sort of embracing setbacks was my way of reframing those as actu- actually the opportunities to go, go about things a different way. Uh, and, and to sort of see that there is a better way to do things. Like, for example, in that example I gave, going and finding a supplier that was fully on board with young entrepreneurship. That was that sort of pace there that I, I one of these little cogs that started turning in this sort of journey of exploration was, was those sort of mindset pieces as well. Speaking of mindset, the, the stories we tell ourselves make us who we are. 
what's given the path you've chosen and all the things you've tried, what story are you telling yourself about yourself right now? It's a good question. The story that is, is quite freeing from seeing failure as a bad thing, or I guess trying to protect myself from, from the potential, you know, limitations of my age is by treating everything as a journey of curiosity. And I think if you treat everything as curiosity, if you treat everything as, uh, as just exploring those curiosities, you know, that we all have, um, those little sparks of interest and intrigue, if you follow those sort of inquisitivities, then you, you'll find something pretty special. Um, mm. and along that journey, if you call it a journey of curiosity, then you're pretty much safe from, from, from ridicule and, and then failure, obviously. No, but, yeah. but you know, it's, I think that's definitely something that I've sort of been in my mind telling myself is that this is all curiosities. If it doesn't work out, if, if you want to change tracks, change gears, it's okay. How do you know you're sort of moving in the right direction? Are you moving toward a fire or a light? Uh, I'll tell you when I get there. <laughs> I, I think, um, or, or, or maybe another way to ask that question is how do you know what to say no to? Yeah, they're definitely linked because there, there's, there's a really interesting balance of being super intentional and, and super forward thinking and super goals centric and just letting shit happen. Um, and, and, and sort of following that flow and those curiosities the, the last couple of years has shown everyone that it's hard to forward plan to hundred percent accuracy. If you just feel sort of more agile and sharper in, in what you're trying to do, if you feel like you're sort of sharpening the knife rather than blunting it, then you sort of feel like you're moving in the right direction. Do you have moments or days when you doubt yourself and the choices that you've, you've made to this point? Many moments in a week. Not to say that I'm unusual in that. I think a lot of people have have those sort of moments. But when you're in this journey of curiosity, as I like to to frame it as a sort of story I tell myself, there is aspects of broadening interest and broadening skill. And also there's times to sort of diverge and converge. You know, like you, you sort of have to to have both of those. When, when I think about converging, sometimes I have doubt around whether I'm developing the right skills and, and developing them in the right directions. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll do something completely separate to the day-to-day stuff I'm doing, which is why I sort of say journey of curiosity. If I wake up tomorrow and sort of go, look, I want to change tracks. You know, I don't think anyone will sort of look at me strangely. The ability to stay agile and, and to sort of um, be really tuned into what I'm interested in and, and, and feeling like I'm adding value towards at, at this age, at 17, it, it's, it's, it's a good opportunity. It's a good time to be doing it. Where do you get your self-belief, your confidence that you are making good choices? I'm, I'm getting quite clear on my values and I'm getting quite clear on um, what sorts of things I want to achieve. Some employers and some opportunities will require certifications, qualifications, probably at the very least a graduating certificate from high school. To put it bluntly, I probably don't want to work for, for organisations that can put that aside for a second and focus on the individual and the work and the value that you add to their organization and, and use that to, to make a decision on you. I'm pretty bullish on that, actually. Um, like I think to me, it doesn't matter what I do. Putting that all aside, if I can just walk into your company and prove that I'll be valuable to you, prove that I can improve upon the things that I'm meant to be improving upon, I don't see why anything else should matter. Not everyone's going to agree on that. And I, I will probably miss things because of that. But hopefully the things I do say yes to are fully aligned with where I stand and where I view the world. And that's where the, com- the, the, the confidence comes from. 
Do you have mentors, Kai? Like who's most influenced you and helping you along this path? If I consider the sort of the in, the humans that have contributed to to the, the journey that I've been on, I mentioned my parents, I mentioned my friends, um, and beyond that, it's really been mentors. It's been people that have sort of said, Kai, would you like me to mentor you? But there's also been people that have taken a chance on me and give me a job, or there's been people that have um, given me a, a, you know, a word of advice um, in a time that I needed it in a, in a coffee line. Um, and, and, and there's been people that have given me really harsh feedback and also been incredibly helpful in this sort of process of decision-making and, and alignment. Uh, and I think all of those people, but yes, particularly those that have spent time with me on regular basis as giving their, their, their energy and their wisdom uh, and their time to me, for me, that's been incredibly valuable, um, again, as sounding boards, but also just fountains of, uh, of wisdom and sensibility, uh, especially around these decisions I've been making. So to have those people you can call up and ask a question, but also just catch up and, and feel like they're there to support you if you need that phone call down the track. Probably the, one of the top three things I pass on to anyone else wondering what they should be doing if they want to do similar things is to find the people to, to have as allies and sort of trusted advisors because they're pivotal in, in taking those next steps. Kai, you've got heaps of books and, as you've said, and, and you marinate in lots of ideas. Which book or idea has, yeah. has most kind of, you know, lit your fire recently? What's one that comes to mind? There's one that Albert Salvoya is the man who published it. He's actually one of the first engineers at Google, but it's not a, not a technical book. It's actually a book about prototyping um, and, and a book about validating ideas. It's called The Right It. And the concept is pretty much to find the right it before you try and make it right. Um, and, and it's been something that has definitely been stewing on my mind um, ever since my Tech Thread Co days because I was like, gosh, I feel like I did everything right, but really the idea was wrong. The offer was wrong. Um, the, the market was wrong. Is what you're talking about, um, actually I was recently looking into some, um, some of the work Google had done around rapid prototyping and yes. in their early days of um, creating Google Glass, they created the scrappiest, dirtiest little prototypes ever to go yep. out and validate. And it's the fundamental, you know, the fundamental thing in any entrepreneurship is make something people want. I mean, that's why Combinator exactly. and everybody, that human-centred design approach to building any T-shirt or product <laughs> or complex technology um, is to go out with a piece of cardboard or a piece of paper and a pen and talk to the people that you're trying to build for. And and so so often I think people get carried away with their idea and they don't get out of the building. Steve Blank, again, who's done a lot of work around um, customer yep. insights, is just get out of the building so you can actually put your product or idea, however early, in the hands of the people that you're trying to sell to. And if they're going to, you know, that's the only way you'll get that, that lean startup, that, that feedback loop going to get the validation you need to actually build and put the time in. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I did a startup weekend recently here in Perth and that was a big thing they drilled into us is just to, to leave this building and, and to, to do something with your idea. And I think Albert does just such a great job of it in this book because he says that ideas are cheap, but good ideas, good ideas that um, people want and that people will buy, they're actually pretty hard. And, and I think that's definitely been something that I have been putting much more of an emphasis on in what I say yes to in terms of other people's ideas, but also what I say yes to in my own ideas and the stuff that I want to run with and, and explore curiosities around. But I think that's really that concept, as you say, that rapid prototyping, he talks about it as actually prototyping, mm -hmm. which is an interesting concept that I'll, I'll, um, I'll let him delve into more in the book if you have a read. But 
you know, he uses the example of, of a guy that will, um, have this idea to, to set up an automatic laundry drying machine at, at the local laundromat, right? Seems like a good idea, but obviously a lot of investment to build the whole machine. So he pretty much does the whole sort of mechanical Turk trick where he sets up a, a little wall and actually stands behind it and charges people um, and he just folds the laundry and gives it back to them. They just think it's a machine and, and, and he can basically assess out of all the people that walk into that laundromat how many people actually use it, determine some form of product market fit, and then use that to make a decision on whether he runs with it. Exactly. It's, it's the Wizard of Oz startup it approach, is. really. And, yep. and in fact, I don't know if you're familiar with the work of IDEO, a design firm in yeah. San Francisco. They were pretty much launched the idea of design thinking. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is about, yeah, putting the human at the centre of that process and deeply going into empathy to understand how people behave in their own environment, i.e. in the laundromat, before you then go on and, and build the thing for them. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very cool stuff. And That's uh, a great book. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, I'd love to um, to dive into that. And I think um, further to what you've said is that ideas are the easy part. Yeah. There's lots of ideas. So, you know, you could dime a dozen people say, I've got this great idea for a startup or oh, I had that idea. But execution is everything and mm. getting that idea out into the world and people telling you it's ugly and how to make it prettier and touching customers, that's the only yep. way to then get the flywheel spinning around. 100%. Yeah. And, and you know what, you've, you've been doing that with Futramp for the last while and, you know, it is it, it can be ugly sometimes but it can also be super joyous and exciting when you get awesome feedback and, and awesome buy-in from people. So it's a double-edged sword, but I think if you ignore it, um, you're, you're pretty much guaranteeing yourself uncertainty. Not necessarily guaranteeing yourself failure, but definitely uncertainty. Yeah, you've got to find people who, who love what you're doing because you're actually solving for them. That's right. Absolutely. Um, Kai, what um, – so we've got your book. Um, we'll put that one in the show notes. Yeah. Which habit or tool uh, has most improved your life recently? I love that question. Um, it's funny, habits and tools, particularly tools, I, I spend a silly amount of time obsessing over. My friends know me as Kai the app guy because every time <laughs> we catch up, I've got another app to tell them about, which, which, you know, which I actually quite like. I mean, I'm a massive nerd if you haven't been able to, to get that. Yeah, no, I got that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and I think, you know, when, when, you, when you don't let them overtake the, the valuable work and when you keep everything in perspective, tools can be incredible facilitators for, for, for good work and, and good progress. Uh, I think there's a lot of tools we take for granted. I, like I love Google products and the whole Google ecosystem of, you know, of calendar and drive and mail and docs, they work super well. Um, but that's not a very exciting answer. So the one I will give you is a tool called AkiFlow. A-K-I flow. Maybe you've heard of it, but it's, it's, it's just a really interesting way of managing tasks and, and sort of calendar in one place, but also tasks from lots of different places. I mean, you can, you can bring a Slack message in or an email or a Trello, Trello board um, item and bring it all into one place and actually put those tasks on a calendar. And I think that's interesting for me is, is well, actually your day is your time, right? And your day is your calendar. So the time we spend working on tasks should probably live on a calendar too. I've just jumped into it. I'm just exploring it, but I think it's going to be a really cool tool to finally put to bed, which task management software to use and just to stick with something and, um, and, and use it really well. And does that mean you're going to move on from Notion, which we obviously use to collaborate? Oh, well, I do like Notion. I remember, actually, it's a funny story there. So the Tech Thread Co., um, a couple of months in, I 
was doing some search searching around on on branding again another little area that I had to dabble in during that that sort of time and I found a design agency called Draw History here in Perth they were really kind to give me an hour of their time and they chucked the idea up on the whiteboard and I remember one of their people playing around with this new notion thing and no one had heard of it they're actually still in private beta at the time and I remember remember her showing it to me I think tools you know, you can use them in collaboration. I think there is, there's a sort of fetishizing of trying to have everything in one place quite often. Uh, I think it has its benefits, but also having a few different tools that work so well together um, and, and actually encourage good work is, is, is ultimately the end goal. Given we've acknowledged that you've taken an unconventional path, you're really charting your own waters. And we all are, of course, we're all living our lives as unique and individual humans, but you really are charting your own path and designing your way forward. Mm. Is it kind of lonely taking the path you're taking? At times, absolutely. Yep. Coming from high school where no matter whether you love them or hate them, there's always people around you and people in your classes and, you know, at least people you can relate to because you're all doing the same assignments. Even at uni, that's true. There is a sense sometimes where I'm sort of stuck in a way, stuck in between peers of my age that aren't necessarily working 50 hours a week and living at a home and, um, and really 100% clear on what they want to be doing. But I'm also not at the stage of my work peers quite often who are in families or have, have been really established in their careers who are really great operators, talented people that are really clearly adding value into organizations, I'd like to think that I'm moving towards that. But, uh, you know, again, that sort of self-doubt and that sort of sense of, uh, of being young, it, it does feel like you're sort of sitting in this middle ground where there isn't a whole lot of, uh, whole lot of chatter and sociability. I don't think it's loneliness in terms of not having friends or having people to talk to. It's great to be surrounded by lots of different people, but I think it's probably loneliness in, in understanding um, and, and loneliness in um, relatability with, with, with people. But again, that's, it's, it's, it's part of it. And, and I think that the, the, the select few people you do find that are doing similar things, they're really special. And, and, and you, you both get a lot of value out of those sort of relationships. Yeah, I think there, it was Steve Jobs who said that it is the outliers, the people who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones that usually do. And in, I'm not saying you're crazy, um, but in some ways, you know, he talked about the troublemakers or the round pegs and the square holes or the ones who sort of see things differently. And you really strike me as someone who's got the courage and the daring and the smarts and the curiosity to want to go out and ask why and, and, and keep pushing yourself to the edges of your potential. And I think that's an, an amazing thing for someone your age. So kind of you to say, Madeline, I, I really appreciate the the opportunities um, you give me, if 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 no less than the conversation today, to to explore that and to you know to affirm that, but also to open a whole um, can of worms that I'm excited to delve into as, as I do after these sort of conversations. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely an exciting road ahead, not because of the sort of certainty or um, low risk to it but because of the feeling that it is 100% what I'm meant to be doing and, and in complete alignment with um, what I've learned to, to find most valuable for myself. Kai, we like to end all of these, uh, these episodes by asking people this final question, acknowledging that life can be uncertain and uh, has all sorts of twists and turns and unknowns. Who do you think is doing human really well? It's, um, it's a really nice way to end because I think being grateful of others and, and acknowledging others is 
is, is, is such an important thing to be doing. I've got a friend, uh, his name is Will Masara, uh, and he, he runs a, a very successful company called Youth Leadership Academy. And, and they run events in schools and, and, and around the country in, in councils and uh, organizations around leadership and around entrepreneurship for young people. And I think the reason why he is doing human so well is because actually in the last couple of months, he's decided to put that on hold and, and actually focus on himself because it, it became very draining. It became, um, you know, quite tough, especially running events at the moment. And I think to take all that brand equity and all that momentum and to, and to still focus on, on what was most important to him, which is himself, um, and to, to move to Queensland and tuck himself away and, and work on some really valuable work, I think that's, that's a really extraordinary thing to do. And I think it shows um, a human who's really in touch with themselves and, and, and what's important um, amidst success um, and amidst good work anyway. So a, a good mate and, 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 um, and definitely a great human. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Human Cogs. We know that being human is pretty messy for the best of us and we really hope these conversations challenge what you think you know about yourself and maybe some others in your orbit. And you know, Mads, as a psychologist, I know I'm having a good day at work when people say to me, Sabina, I've never thought about it that way before. That's what we hope your experience will be listening to Human Cogs. So if you want to find out more about other episodes or about this episode, jump on our website at humancogs.com. 